Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. This series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Leah Gaddis. I'm the Pharmacy Residency Programs Coordinator at Parkview Health and a member of the Career and Leadership Development Advisory Group, or CLEDAG, of the New Practitioners Forum. And I will be one of your hosts. Um, my co-hosts are members of CLEDAG. We have Nicole Main, the Oncology Clinical Pharmacy Specialist at Allegheny Health Network, and Elena Pestestos, a PGY-1 community-based pharmacy resident at Wilkes University and Weiss Markets Pharmacy. And we are also joined by our um, co-member, Megan Helwich. Thank you so much. All right. So today we will be sitting down with Liz Hess, who's the Associate Director of Medication Safety and Accreditation from the University of Kentucky Healthcare. Megan Swarthout, who's the Director of Patient Care Services from the Johns Hopkins Health System, and Tony Huke, Senior Pharmacy Executive Director from Vizient, to discuss negotiating first post-residency positions. So welcome, everybody, and thank you so much for joining today. Before we begin, as we have a guest panel, we will call specifically for one person to provide the first answer, and then other guests can continue their thoughts afterwards. And now for our first question. Liz. When you're interviewing and hoping to accept a job, or when you are offered a job, how do you prepare for the job negotiation? Great question to start off with. Just like you would prepare for an interview and work on your interview um, questions and answers that you might get during the day, you also want to prepare for the job negotiation piece because hopefully you want to take the job um, and you want to make sure that you're excited about the job. So there's five main things that I look at salary, moving costs, my budget life events, and start date. And just to dive into those a little bit. So when you think about the salary, there's actually a lot of data out there that's publicly available. Many public universities, if you're looking in the academic sector, will have their salaries listed online. Now you might have to go searching through the local paper or talk to your friends on how to get it, but you can get this data. A great way to look up people's salaries is to look who's on your interview panel and use their names if you don't know anyone working there. You can also talk with friends. It doesn't have to be specific to say, what do you make? You can say, what should I expect for this market? That will be very telling to you as to what you should expect. Different cities are going to have a different baseline entry for a salary. So that's an easy way to talk about it with your friends. Moving in the summer, post-residency is very expensive, so be sure to look into how far you have to go, how many miles it's going to be for that truck. And then a big consideration is your budget. So I don't love budgeting myself, but I definitely went through and put my numbers down on paper so that I could understand how much am I going to be spending on where I'm going to be living, what is the cost of living for where I'm moving to if I'm moving, and can I actually afford what I think I can afford? A personal thing that happened to me is I didn't budget for taxes in a city I was living in. And so that just bummed me out taxes for the city I am moving to. And then you also want to budget for your student loans. Those are going to kick in and maybe you're going to be paying more eventually because your salary is changing. One thing I think residents forget about is life events in the first 90 days. Do you have a personal life event happening or something that you're anticipating 
we had a resident in the past who wanted to propose to his girlfriend and they wanted to go to Greece, but they couldn't make it happen post-residency before they start a new job. So we discussed that and he worked with his future employer and he was able to, you know, negotiate that life event, which was really important to him. So there's lots of non-traditional things that we can discuss during And then lastly, the start date is flexible from what I've seen for the right candidate. And so it's something to consider and not to pressure yourself to start too early. Tony or Megan, do you have anything to add to the preparation? One thing to keep in mind is that it can be hard. I've been advising mentees and residents for years on how to negotiate. I finally had to do it when I had a role change four years ago, and it was much harder than I anticipated but it can be worth tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of your career. Uh, a few thousand dollars in that first job just um, expands exponentially over your career. And it's very valuable and very important to do it, but it can be challenging. Yeah, I'll maybe share something. I agree with everything that Liz outlined and, and we'll go into some more detail as, as the discussion continues about, you know, what are areas kind of within that package that you can negotiate and start date is an especially important one. I'm glad Liz mentioned that because you might not think of that. It's not necessarily monetary, but gosh, it's very negotiable. I'll also just share that I always say to all residents, don't accept a job offer from a place of fear, right? So Liz noted this, but we want you to be excited about it. If you're thinking, well, this is my first offer, and what if my next offer doesn't come? And timelines are messy, right? And they're very different than the very regimented structure that was the match. You should not be accepting a place if you are not truly excited about that opportunity. And and we're going to talk about salary and money, and those things are very important. The number one reason why people leave their job is not their salary, it's their manager. So you need to really be thinking to yourself, how did I connect with that person that I interviewed with? Is this a culture that I felt comfortable being myself in, that I can be my authentic professional self at work? Those things are really important. So just keep those in mind. Never accept an offer from a place of fear and, and always be thinking about the number one reason I will stay in my job or leave my job is my manager. And so how do you assess that relationship and and really be thinking about that even before you move into the details of the offer of, is this the right offer or not for me? Very valuable. Thank you. So for our next question, Megan, what are some considerations when reviewing compensation packages? Yeah. So Liz nicely talked about this. In in most health systems, I will say HR departments are doing market reviews, hopefully every one to three years to stay up to date. And internal equity is really important. So when we offer you a salary, it's not just that offer going out to you, but we're looking at what did we start someone else that has maybe a couple of years experience more than you. If we offer more to you than they're currently making, we have completely kind of bobbled internal equity. And and, and that's a no-no. And it will make your HR business partners uh, very, very concerned. So oftentimes, I'll say the least negotiable thing sometimes about your offer is the base salary. There can sometimes be wiggle room, and it's always worth asking. I will say, don't do that in a hardball way. Asking questions is a great way to negotiate, right? You don't have to come in there. It's not like maybe some other professions, like the legal profession of like, you know, I have to be tough. It's just about starting a dialogue and asking questions. 
sense. I think there are a lot of things though around the edges as I describe them or that compensation package that become really important. So Liz mentioned one of them, the moving expenses. That's usually a place where we have some wiggle room. Can they help with licensure? Can they help with some of those initial upfront costs that are important from um, just a cash flow perspective? There are others that might not show up directly in your base salary, but can also really add up. So is this an employer that's going to pay for professional association membership? If you want to travel to meetings, are you taking PTO to do that? Or is that considered paid working time? What's the level of travel support that they provide for that? Those things add up quickly. What if you want to get an ASHP certificate or you want to go back and get a master's degree? What does the support for those types of formal degree seeking education programs, but other types of education and training programs? Do they support board certification? When they say they support it, do they support the initial upfront costs? Do they support all of the ongoing renewal expenses and fees? What do those things look like? I mean, we're talking about thousands of dollars in annual expenses when you start to add all of those things up. So those are definitely things that I would encourage you to discuss. Um, Also discuss bonuses. Some places might have some type of retention bonus. There might be bonuses depending on what types of shifts you're working. If your evening shift or or your overnight shift, there sometimes is an hourly compensation, but there might also be an additional incentive bonus annually for working those types of shifts. So look around the edge at moving expenses, bonuses, but then a lot of other professional fees that are important to your professional growth and development, are those going to have to come out of that budget that Liz described? It's got to come out of your personal paycheck or are those going to be covered by your employer? So really spend some time looking at those. Again, talking about that start date. Honestly, if, if you have an employer who is really pressuring you to start immediately after residency, I personally would have some red flags. Is that really an employer who's going to support your well-being and resilience long-term? You know, we often say to folks, let us know your start date. It can't be in July, right? We, we want you to take July off. We want you to enjoy and celebrate all that you've accomplished. You can start in August. If we are that desperate that two weeks makes a difference, gosh, I'd be asking a lot more questions of why is that timetable so pressured? I would just add on to that. It's not necessarily negotiable, but it's something to look at with your benefits package is the retirement contributions. It is very different from the employers that I have switched from. And pointing this out to residents, it can make a difference in who they choose. Um, One resident told me they hadn't thought to look at that before, and it it helped them make a decision because they saw, oh, I'm going to be vested after is it one, three, or five years? And what percentage match is my employer, future employer giving me? That's a huge financial consideration. And I think right now we're all preoccupied with student loans, which is understandable, but don't forget about the long-term picture of your finances. One other thing to consider uh, as you're reviewing your offer is there can be a fear of if you try to negotiate that that uh, offer might be withdrawn or removed, and that is usually not the case. The, usually the worst thing that can happen is they say, hey, this is our the, as high as we can go. This is our best and final offer. And so that fear uh, can be a significant barrier for some uh, new practitioners. They're just afraid that the job offer is going to be withdrawn. And as a former hiring manager, trust me, they don't want to start over. They don't want to go back to the pool If they're making you an offer, it's because they want you on their team. And so that fear should not be uh, something that prevents you from negotiating. Thank you all for your insight. So our next question is going to go back to you, Tony. So 
What are some additional items that you can negotiate? Thanks, Elena. Uh, we've talked about a lot. Start time was sort of right at the top of my list as well. It's important to take some time off. As uh, others have said, celebrate the success of completing your residency. A little bit of time to ge- decompress before you start your, your career. PTO, vacation time off, not only the amount, which can also be negotiable, especially as you advance in your career, but also uh, days or preferred days. Sometimes coming in as a, as a new employee, there's a, a line to get specific days off. Certainly around the holidays, it's very popular. So understanding what that process is and seeing if you can insert yourself as part of the negotiation process into a better position on that list. Uh, similarly with scheduling, be it just schedule flexibility or holidays or weekend rotation, what is the norm? What is negotiable? What can you maybe move up that list a little bit as part of your negotiations? Some departments, there's going to be more flexibility than others, but understanding that, working that into your plan as you onboard. Some more non-traditional things to think about would be commuter assistance, especially if you're in a large city. Bus or rail passes can be either sometimes given or purchased at a significant discount through uh, metropolitan hospitals. Similarly, parking seems to always be a problem at health systems. And so if there's a a parking garage that's attached to the building and an off-site lot that the majority of employees have to use, maybe you can negotiate your way into a better parking spot, which sounds trivial, but can actually be uh, really important uh, based on weather and or just what time you have to leave for work and what time you get home at the end of your commute. And then as you progress in your career, these next few things tend to get more in play, if you will. And those are things like your retirement accounts. What is the match? Um, What percent? Can you negotiate a higher percent or a higher total match? And then healthcare plans, um, decreased premiums, other plans that may be available, usually not right out of residency, entering to practice. But as your career progresses, those are other things that can come into play that you can negotiate with. And I'll just reemphasize, you know, Tony touched a lot on PTO time off, and that may not be the quantity, but if you have to take days off the first 90 days, you're you're the maid of honor in your best friend's wedding, right? That probably happens a lot for new residents, or it's a your parents' wedding anniversary or a significant birthday for a grandparent, you know, 80th birthday. Hopefully your employer wants you to celebrate those things, especially if you have friends and family that are celebrating those life events. And so if you need to leave early on a Friday or you need a Friday off to make it to those events, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, I'll just add, this one's not negotiable, but I think it's important to make sure you understand is also, Tony alluded to this, how do increases happen? How do raises happen? Are they merit-based? What is that merit system based on? How will you be evaluated? What are the types of kind of average merit increases that have happened over the last few years, just to give you an idea and help you understand, okay, if this is where I start as my base, how is that going to grow over the years? Those are just things that you want to have a good understanding of. And if you are in the optimal position of having multiple job offers, and maybe that's something you consider, you know, how how will I be rewarded? How will I be evaluated in my role? Does that feel that it aligns with my value system and, and how I want to be evaluated, what I know I excel at at work, or just other things to consider as you're uh, maybe comparing and contrasting different offers from different organizations? 
One of the things I was able to negotiate was when my bonuses were paid out. So it's not the amount that was paid, it's when they're paid. Bonuses tend to fall under the HR department. And so I'm talking about like relocation bonus and sign-on bonus. I was able to negotiate when my relocation bonus was paid out to make it earlier to help offset the costs of moving in summer when it's super expensive. Um, So that's also something that you can consider and that would be negotiating um, you know, throwing that out there and seeing what HR can do with you. Another thing that is not a negotiable item, but it's something to know about is also what is the career ladder at the organization that you're going to? Do they have different roles? You know, do they have pharmacy one, two, or three, you know, like a pharmacist level one, two, or three, specialist one, two, or whatever. Um, so kind of understanding that. And if, if that's something that you're interested in, what would be the, the career ladder advancement? All right. So our next question is Liz, how do you negotiate? Great question. Practice. So start off with practice. I think it sounds funny to say, oh, we're going to like role play how to do um, salary job negotiation. But if you don't practice, you're going to stumble and be extremely nervous when you actually do go through this. I know that I forced my parents to practice with me back when I had to do this. And My dad's advice to me was stop talking, say what you need to say and stop talking. Don't, you know, wiggle yourself into a hole or a worse situation than you're already in. Like they're here to work with you. They are, you're, everyone's on the same team. If they're giving you an offer, they want to hire you and you want to work with them. So just keep that in mind. You're on the same team. So you want to express enthusiasm, but you also don't want to accept the first offer off the bat. HR may say, we'd like to offer you X amount of dollars. How does that sound? And that's it. Well, you should say, oh, like, I'm really excited you're offering this to me. Like, can we discuss further? You don't want to negotiate things independently and do them one at a time. Like, get the salary one. Okay. Then get the moving costs. Okay. Then get the start date. You don't want to do that. That's going to tire everybody out because you may be talking with HR. You may be talking with your future manager. So you want to put it all out there on the table as a package deal, just like they're doing for you. Of, I'd like to discuss salary. I have some questions about the moving costs. And you, know, you want to work together. You want to express that. Going into that conversation, you want to know what your BATNA is, your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So basically, what is the point that you are going to step away from this? Or what are you going to be agreeing to? If they can't come to your salary, for example, what are you going to do? Are you going to accept it and go with it? Or are you going to decline the offer? You need to make that decision for yourself. And like I mentioned, practice. So uh, it's, it doesn't hurt just to say it out loud a few times before you actually get the call. I will say I sometimes screen those phone calls when I was on the receiving end of job offers just because I was nervous and anxious and I wanted to hear what they had to say in the message before I went into that um, conversation kind of blindly. I'd rather call them back and be like, okay, I'm ready for this. I've practiced. Yeah, gosh, I don't think I have much to add to that. I will just emphasize what Liz noted about putting it all out on the table up front. You, it, it, it will be tiring to all parties if you kind of bring it up piecemeal. So it is helpful to put it all on the table. And sometimes if they can't move in one, like if we say, this is where I have to be with internal equity on the base salary, but gosh, how can I make it up here? Like putting it all on the table allows to kind of see where you can kind of put some things together, maybe in different ways or think creatively about it. So there's benefit in doing that as well. I think it you will find 
different things. I, I agree. I think a lot of folks do screen those calls and we get that. They're nervous. I, when I'm on that end making the offer, I will never leave offer information on a voicemail. So know that. It, you'll see differences based on employers, but they might just say, hey, we're really excited to you. We want to talk about kind of next steps and opportunities. So know that you'll get kind of different results. Some employers may not also put things in writing. I, I often hear from folks when we're doing it, they will not put it in writing sometimes until they have a verbal yes from you. So know that it's okay to repeat it back. You Use teach back, write it down, make sure you have all of the details, ask those questions, and then you know take some time to digest it and then circle back around. But, but know that if you're expecting that you're going to get it in a voicemail or they're going to give it to you in writing in an email, that might not happen until they have a verbal acceptance from you. The only other thing I'd like to add is as you're going throughout this process, I think it's important to reiterate your interest in the job throughout, whether that's with the HR manager or with your hiring manager. As these negotiations and discussions developed, say, I'm really interested in the job, but here are some things that I'm looking for for the compensation package. So reiterating that interest in the in the job offer, uh, I think is paramount for success as well. Oh, that's such a good point, Tony. And I would just say, avoid ultimatums. So again, ask questions, put on the table, but you don't want to be in a situation where you say, you must give me this or I'm walking away. Like, yikes. Although I agree with Tony, I, I think it is rare that offers are rescinded. It is not out of the realm of possibility. And if you come in very hard with ultimatums, you could burn a bridge. And and I think the important thing to know is, A, that's somebody you are most likely going to go work with. And so you, you don't want to start out your onboarding on that foot, continuing to advocate for yourself and positively assert yourself, asking questions, but also reiterating your interests is important. Avoid those ultimatums and know that even if you do walk away from that, if that is done in a way that leaves kind of, again, that bridge burned, it, it could have implications. As you all know, health system pharmacy is, is very well connected. And so you can negotiate respectfully and, and still walk away from an offer. That's okay. But you don't want to do that from a place that, that might um, kind of curve into that place of, of being disrespectful or unprofessional. Thank you all so much. And Liz mentioning in the beginning kind of reminded me when she said about that first job offer is I was actually speaking with a hiring manager of a health system that I did rotations on in the past year. And he mentioned that he expects people to negotiate the first offer. He offers it and if they take it, he's surprised by it. So don't be nervous to kind of negotiate back and forth because a lot of times people are expecting it. But thank you. So our next question, I'll throw it over to Tony. So what if the other party that you're engaging with does not engage in negotiation? What are some other kind of factors you can consider in that situation? That can be really challenging. The take-home message here is know your value. And that can come from a, a several different places. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, they chose you. As a former hiring manager, they do not want to go to person two or three on the list. They do not want to start the interview process over. They've chosen you. They want you as part of their team. And so you've got a little bit more power than most people realize. It's also a point where imposter syndrome can kick in for all of us. If they say no right off the bat, it's easy to fold and just sort of take the offer as is. Another way to understand the value and where you would fit within the organization is understanding the salary range. As I think Megan mentioned earlier, those can be posted in a lot of lot of employers currently are posting salary ranges. 
Um, certainly you can ask. Uh, that's probably a better question for the HR representative as opposed to the hiring manager, but both can provide that. And based on your experience, your qualifications, your career longevity, you can sort of guess where you're going to be uh, along that salary range and understand if that's a good offer or a market value offer for you at this point in your career. And uh, again, as we talked about, internal slotting is very important. And uh, sometimes you just don't have a lot of wiggle room, but we've talked about a lot of different things that can make that total package more valuable for you uh, as a new hire. So if they can't move on the base salary, we've talked about all the other things that they may be able to move uh, on. And we talked about relocation bonuses. That's one that there's usually an allotment in the HR department that doesn't even sort of go to your, uh, you know, the pharmacy department's budget. Uh, a lot of the HR hiring managers will have just the ability to grant one of those if the person is relocating. So certainly asking for that is another way to find some more value in the initial offer if they can't move off the base salary. There is something in about timelines is I think slightly different than where this question started, but but I do think that this happens sometimes. You you got an offer from a place that maybe is your your second or third choice and kind of places that you're exploring. And maybe you had a really great interview with your top choice, but you haven't heard from them yet, right? So now you've got an offer in hand. You maybe got a week if you're lucky, two weeks to kind of make a determination on that offer and you haven't heard from your first place. I get this question a lot from some of our residents and I always say, reach out to that place that you're interested in that is your top choice and let them know. I think there's sometimes this hesitation um, of new practitioners of like, oh, I don't want to bug that person. And certainly you don't want to contact them multiple times a day, but it is perfectly okay to reach out and say, hey, you know, I just want to be transparent with you. I have received an offer from another location. I remain really interested in your position. And I just wanted to kind of get a sense of where you might be with the timeline. If they're really interested in you too, they might very quickly hurry to get things moving on their end to be able to be competitive and get another offer in your hand. So know that if you know you're working with someone and maybe they don't seem to want to negotiate as much and maybe they aren't as high on your list, don't don't box yourself into the corner. It is okay to reach out to other places that you're exploring and just understand where they're at. And sometimes letting them know that you do have another offer can come sometimes kind of expedite things on their end too. So keep that in mind and communicate with your top choice. Be that advocate for yourself as Tony was describing. Yeah. And I think when organizations cannot engage in negotiations or choose not to, they may truly be stuck with their budget and their policies and how their institution works. It's okay to say, you know, thank you for working with me. I'd like to take a few days to think the offer over. Don't forget to take that time for yourself to digest it, right? It's so exciting to get an offer but you need to like come down off that high and say, okay, well, what is reality? Like I got this offer. Does this work for me? So it's okay to take a few days when they won't engage in negotiation, but even if they will, you know, Megan pointed out the turnaround time of when do you get back to them to, to finalize everything? And she mentioned one to two weeks. If an employer is pushing back and say, well, I need you to tell me in 24 to 48 hours, that's a red flag. I'd be concerned of why do they need to know now? Like maybe I need to make a few phone calls. Maybe I need to discuss with my significant other. And that may take a few days to work through. And so just communicating when you're going to get back in touch with them 
is what they want, right? It's just open lines of communication and transparency like we've like we've discussed. Those are all great additions. Thank you. I'm going to throw uh, our last question back to Megan. How do you kind of navigate the completion of residency after accepting a new position? Yeah. So first and foremost, I, I think a lot of residency program directors try to do this as best they can. Look for opportunities to maybe customize some of that, the final quarter or final month of, of residency that maybe sets you up for some success and additional exposure to something that might be a responsibility coming with your job. This is a great place I'll put on my residency accreditation hat to use that quarterly development plan and your customization of that to allow for some flexibility there. If you're part of a multi-hospital health system, Um, You know, again, depending on what your structure is for electives or other things, say you haven't gotten as much exposure to burn critical care patients and but your sister hospital within your health system does, even if it's not a full rotation, could you spend a week there, right? Are there some opportunities to kind of customize some of those experiences towards the end in order to get some of that? And um, it's okay to also talk about with your current site, like, hey, is it okay if I save some of these policies or save some of these things? and be able to use them as a reference as I move into my next job. Um, Those are certainly things to think about. Are there any tools, resources that you want to take with you that might help you set up for success? A tricky one can be if your next employer is kind of saying, hey, can I start to carbon copy you on messages or, hey, could you start to get involved before? And I think that this is one where keep keep your boundaries, put your guardrails in place. You are, you are not yet employed by them. They are not yet sending you a paycheck. You have still responsibilities, obligations to finish your residency. And, and we talked about you also need that time off to recharge the batteries and rest and celebrate. So at most, I would say if they have some materials they want to send you that you review like a few days before you start, that's one thing, but I would I would very much put a line in the sand and, and not get fully engaged in, in any of the full responsibilities of that or even, gosh, being carbon copied on lots of the stuff before your start date. Again, there'll be plenty of time for that. Your next role is a marathon, not a sprint. And so I this would be another place where I would have red flags if, if that was being brought up and pushed on a lot that, that I would think, gosh, is, is this really going to be a fit? And probably things, again, good to understand, good to negotiate before you do that final offer of acceptance, right? Keep those boundaries in place and know that you will have plenty of time to get to that job. You are still working on finishing your residency and doing what's required for that right now. And that should be your focus. Sometimes I think we also have a little bit of senioritis in place, maybe in that final month where you're like, oh, I'm ready to be done with residency and move on to the next thing. Just try to savor and celebrate. Residency is a special time. Your relationships with your co-workers, really that opportunity to kind of be that learner. So as much as you can, try to be present in the moment focus on the accomplishments and things that you need to finish up. Enjoy that time with the relationships you have with people at a very special point in your career and know that the rest will come and you'll have many, many years to focus on that afterwards. The other thing I'll add in is try and take your new law exam if you have one before residency ends, because once you hit June 30th, you're probably going to want to go take a nap (laughs) for a week. Um, You've worked very hard. You want to take a nap and then you'll want to celebrate maybe with a trip. Residents have gone abroad. They've gone locally. They've gone hiking, you know, and I think it's, it's that time to rest and recharge and get off email, get that manuscript done before June 30th. Even if it means late hours, you're going to thank yourself that you did all that and you were able to just close your laptop 
and July 1 is a whole new day. So be a resident while you're a resident. Work really hard because it will pay off and you want to treat yourself as within your budget. And I'm happy to talk to residents about how to pay for that month off when you don't have a paycheck because you need to think about that too. When does your first paycheck hit? Is it two weeks in? Is it three weeks in? Is it a month in? But I think, you know, we're all here today because we enjoy training residents and helping them out with these topics that aren't typically discussed. And it's hard being a resident. I think it's more noticeable the last few years. And so you really need that time to rest and recharge. In addition to when the paycheck starts, another thing to think about is when does the healthcare start? And so one thing that you can do as you transition from residency into your first job, especially if you're changing organizations, is to understand the rules as to when your healthcare stops at your current employer and when it starts at your next employer. And if you're strategic, you can plan your stop and start time so that those don't lapse. Another thing that sort of dovetails into that is the rules for PTO cash out. If you do have hours left in the bank, do you have to take them all at once? And are they paid out after you resign or after your termination date? Are you going to stay PRN at your current residency if you're just moving across town? And can those be used to bridge some of that gap if you are taking some time off? So those are two sort of kind of outside of the box things that I always like to talk to folks about just because they're usually not thought of. If you time it right, you should be able to go without a lapse in healthcare. And I think that's really important for everything that could possibly go wrong in in the world. So This has been a great discussion um, and that's all the time we have for today. So we want to thank Megan, Liz, and Tony for joining us to discuss navigating the first post-residency job negotiations. Please find more member-exclusive content resources for new practitioners including career transitions, professional development, and leadership on the ASHP website. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to subscribe to the ASHP official podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.